I'm Stephanie Handel and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 242. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey, son, hey, son! How are you guys? Everybody happy? Yeah, of course. Everybody good? We're doing yeah. another show. Great. Why wouldn't we, we be happy? Yeah, great, yeah. great, 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 great. It's always great to, to do good work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that much work this time because most of the work is done by our interviewee, who's Stefanie Handel, and she's a veterinarian in uh, Austria. And uh, she agreed to do an interview with us. So that's what's uh, coming up soon. Um, so she's a veterinarian, but um, have you guys seen any doctors lately? Hopefully not. Well, I actually had a flu shot today, so... Oh, did you? Yeah. Because flu season is upon us, uh, you can start doing that at the end of September or like beginning of October. And it's actually really good to do that now because you certainly don't want to have like influenza and COVID. Oh, oh yeah. Um, oh, that's right. So yeah, it's actually really, really smart to do it. And I would say listeners, if you hear that, do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. So take the vaccine that we do exactly. have. Right. Use everything, yeah. Yeah. the arsenal we have. <laughs> yeah. While we're waiting for the other one that a lot of people will not take. And uh, it will be all the more important for you to take it <laughs> if you agree with it. But first, do it with the flu shot. Exactly. I'm planning to do that too. So I was going to do this this week. So I'm just hoping that I will have the time because I have to go. I probably have to go to Budapest to do that. Wow. Why? Uh, because your GP is not necessarily ready to take you as of now. So um, the, the COVID situation is getting really terrible I in see. Hungary right now. Okay. Yeah. As of late, we've been having a daily new cases of around 900, 800 and 900 per, per wow. day. Wow. So that's pretty high. Yeah. Now we see what it is like because at the beginning, there was really not a really difficult situation in terms of uh, hand handling all those people because between the beginning of the pandemic and the end of August or the middle of August, there have been only 5,000 cases altogether that, that we knew of. And in the last month or so, it quadrupled. I think more than quadrupled, actually. Wow. So we, we, we are facing it right now that uh, many, many countries faced much earlier. So the GP will not necessarily take you if it's not something that is absolutely necessary. And there is a company that does um, these shots it's um, a vaccination center in Budapest, and uh, they're happy to take you. So okay, we'll see. So if you're in Hungary, go to the vaccination center then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll have to pay for it, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Your health is probably yeah. worth it. It's well invested. <laughs> But we are not a medical podcast <laughs> and we don't give much medical advice apart from what's absolutely being proven. Yeah, the obvious ones, yes. Yeah, the obvious ones. But there are a lot of things that, that go on in veterinary medicine as one. And here to talk about that is Stephanie Handel. Every now and then, we interview someone whose work we think to be of interest to our listeners and skeptics around Europe. Today, our guest is veterinarian Dr. Stefanie Handel from Vienna, Austria. Her special fields are nutrition and diet of pets. She is a member of the Gesellschaft für Kritisches Denken, or Society for Critical Thinking, which is the local chapter of the German skeptical organization GWP. Stefanie is very active in informing the public about nutrition woo and so-called alternative medicine, especially when it comes to veterinary medicine. She's the owner of a veterinarian nutrition consultative service called Food Ambulance and helps pet owners with their little friend's diets. Veterinary medicine and the pseudomedicine we often encounter there are important for pet owners, so we were all adamant on getting Stefanie on the show. Luckily, she agreed. So, Stefanie, welcome to the ESP. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really a great pleasure. Welcome. <laughs> I think uh, we would like to use this opportunity to clear up a couple of things and misconceptions about pet diet. That, but the first thing we should get out of the way is how is the nutritional needs of cats and dogs or any kind of pets different from those of, of humans? Well, I think the huge difference is that usually cats and dogs are feed so-called complete diets, meaning that people go to a pet store, they buy a canned food or a dry food that contains all the nutrients the pet needs, or most people do that. While we humans, we have to eat a variety of foods to get all nutrients. So it's a completely different concept, you could say. And that's why we can say, well, yeah, you just eat different things every day while the, the food that the dogs or cats are getting need to be complete because it's the only thing they are eating all day or every day. So it's just a different concept. Does it have any kind of sense or does it make any kind of sense from um, an evolutionary point of view? I mean, uh, for, for example, when we talk about dogs, as far as we know, at the beginning, they usually mostly ate some scraps that, that would be left over for them or, or things that we, we didn't really want to eat ourselves. Uh, at least this is what archaeological remains suggest. So could it have changed through time, their nutritional needs, for example, for, for dogs? Yes, the need changed mostly because of their environment and, and how they are okay. kept. You know, they are living together with people. They're not getting that much exercise compared to an, a wild animal that needs to go hunting every day. Um, they are usually castrated, so they don't reproduce very often. And on the other hand, they live much longer or the owner wants them to live much longer. So a, a cat can become like 20 years. So it's more about longevity and also well-being, not about reproducing and then dying at the age of five or so. Oh, yeah. yeah. We will get more into, I think, uh, pseudoscience later on, but we've heard about something called barf. 
That that sounds it's such a stupid name for for I think it's dog food, is it? Can you tell us a little about what it is? Well, barf means bones and raw food. Oh. Yeah, or born again raw feeders, and it's a. <laughs> That's a good one. Don't laugh. Um, or biologically appropriate raw feeding, and it's a, a trend. In the last uh, 10 years now, that uh, it's both for cats and for dogs that they're mm-hmm. supposed to feed mainly raw meat. So it's like like the ancestors, like in the wild, and they're supposed to get raw meat, offal, bones, some fruits and vegetables, and nothing artificial. So it's this kind of back to nature that's a trend also in human medicine and everything. So this everything nature gave us is, is great and the best, mm. and everything thing that's chemical or artificial is harmful. Mm. Is there anything good with it or is it just no. a fat? No. <laughs> okay. Well, the thing is, of course, um, the owners are very concerned. They want to feed fresh. For many, is I like to know what my dog or what my cat is giving. I do not trust these commercial diets. I have no idea what's in there. Yeah, could be bad for them. So I think the, the basic thinking is great. The thing is the barf how it is done is actually harmful. Bones can be a large health risk. There are many cases of malnutrition because the owner's not doing it right, because the advice they are getting is not right. Um, And the biggest problem is the hygiene. Raw meat can transmit disease to humans mainly, but also to cats and dogs. And this is so underrated and they say, yeah, well, that that's just you know panicking and the dogs can handle that yeah probably the dogs can handle salmonella or whatever but the owners can get it and there have been already death from oh, from really? this yeah in humans and also in cats and dogs from infections and also from malnutrition so it's really an issue we have to say that there are no long-term studies because it's really difficult to study one feeding concept over the whole life of a cat or a dog but there are many case reports and with logical thinking, we can say there is no advantage of feeding raw meat compared to feeding the same meat in the cooked version. And we heard of wet barf and dry barf. What's the difference there? What What's that? That's nonsense. No, the thing is that it's just very, very popular so that uh, food producing companies try to sell everything with the name barf on it. So if they put meat in a can, they say it's canned barf. Well, it's a canned food. You know, it's cooked, so it's not raw anymore. The same with dry food. I swear you can't make these things up. How can you? How can barf be a sale, selling <laughs> point? I, uh, oh, you have no idea. I guess yeah. you, you don't have cats or dogs. Well, I do, but, but I just the acronym is so crazy that that's what I mean. The ac- yeah, yeah, and and I mean it works also in German because then it's a biologisch artgerechte Rohfütterung. It actually sounds great because in German we don't know that it means vomiting. So. <laughs> canned barf. <laughs> canned barf. That's not something. I want to yeah, buy. you, you okay. say it. You can't make this up. There is a barf app for your mobile phone. <laughs> How does that don't, work? Don't laugh. That's my daily life. Oh, <laughs> okay. Ooh, yeah, we, we're going to get into that. <laughs> what kind of all kind of weird shit you have to encounter during your practice? Something I always encountered with my dog was that they always pretty much treated chocolate as toxic for dogs so so what about that is it is it really that bad for dogs if they eat chocolate yes it's true that it's all it's uh chocolate and tea and caffeine i mean it's the same substances that we like because 
you know, they excite us, you know. Yes, it's it's the same mechanism in cats and dogs. They just cannot digest it or are not metabolize it, the caffeine. So it works longer and stronger in cats and dogs and it can be lethal. And really like for a small dog, really a, a tiny bar of dark chocolate could really be lethal. So that's true. Mm, wow. Yes. And the other thing is um, onion and garlic and everything that's related to that, that destroys the red blood cells. Wow. So basically, if you have some leftovers from your dinner or your lunch that you would like to give to the dog because it's full of meat and you think that your dog would love it, you should think twice as long as there is garlic in it, for example. Yeah, of yeah. course, it's a question about the dosage. But if of it, course, yeah. Yeah, it's really a lot of onion or garlic in it, I would not do it. Otherwise, if it like it's cooked, normally cooked and normally spiced for us, it's not such a problem. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't recommend any Hungarian pet owners <laughs> give their leftovers. <laughs> if it's about some kind of a Hungarian stew, <laughs> please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, also not in Austria. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's also onion and garlic in anything. <laughs> <laughs> How about other vegetables? I mean, a lot of dogs get, and cats too, I think, get, you know, things like carrots and rice yeah. along with it. Is that okay? That That's not harmful, is it? No, it's completely okay. It's mainly fiber. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then they need a certain amount of fiber, so that's completely fine. Yeah. It's not so important compared to humans because, again, especially in barf, there's a high emphasis on which vegetables and how many vegetables and there need to be three varieties a day it doesn't make that much difference or the nutrients that are missing in the meat are also missing in the vegetables so if, if you give carrots every day or 10 different varieties doesn't make that much difference it's water and fiber i've always been wondering about that because i've heard both sides of the argument that uh, they 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 need it they don't need it but then when you think about it uh, again from an evolutionary point of view uh those animals when they were they are wild uh those wild animals usually eat herbivores right and they usually eat the whole of that herbivore uh that that animal no they don't no they don't no they don't well that's what the barfers usually say that the wolves would eat the stomach content okay. of let's say and they don't their, their prey but they don't at least that what has been seen i mean they eat that what sticks to the wall of the stomach but otherwise they shake it out okay so they do not voluntarily eat the the grass or whatever this deer has eaten before, um, they try to shake it out. So that's basically a, a, a complete misconception, that kind of argument that mm -hmm. uh, a wild counterparts of these animals usually eat the stomach content and yes. th that way they, they get that fiber. That, yeah, that I mean, we, okay. they need a certain amount of fiber. It's also discussed that especially cats, um, which eat like the whole prey, that the, the fur is also kind of fiber for them. Oh, okay. Yes, they do need certain amount of fiber. And of course, also a fox or a wolf will eat vegetables when it's really hungry, when there's no prey around. Mm. Uh, or to put it the other way around, if you don't feed them vegetables, they're not missing anything. Ah, okay. So basically, when my mother so, so makes an effort to give the dog carrots and uh, other kinds of vegetables, it's not necessary. So it's It's not necessary. It's also <laughs> this, this human concept of we need we need vegetables. You know, that's, you know, we, we heard that from being a child. You need, I don't know, five portions a day of fruits and vegetables. Mm. We are much more herbivores than, there is, than a dog. 
So yes, it's fine and it's also a healthy treat. If a dog likes vegetables and fruit, it has much less calories than your typical dog treats. So that yeah. it's completely fine and mm -hmm. it's not harmful. Grapes, please do not feed grapes. But every other Why vegetables, um, they can cause renal failure. Ooh. Yeah, we don't know how. So if it's the grapes or if it's the seeds, it has happened with fresh grapes. It has happened with raisins. So also in a cake or something. Yeah, it's it's really dangerous. Any other vegetables is fine. Is it specific to dogs or uh, can it happen to other pets or even humans? No, it's quite specific to dogs. Okay. Okay. All right. Coming to other things that might be specific to dogs, maybe. <laughs> we were wondering if pets need to get flu shots as we're going into flu season right now. <laughs> and if like general in general, um, are the vaccines the same that humans also receive or are some different and some the same or something like that? Yes. Well, there's not a specific flu shot for cats and dogs, but for other, mainly it's against virus. So we had, there's a disease called, it's actually called cat flu, but it's much more dangerous because flu sounds harmless, like a common cold, but it's really, can be really dangerous. It can also damage the eyes so they can go blind from it. There's a vaccine for that. Um, we have rabies, of course, that's still a topic, especially when pets are traveling because many boarders ask for that. Yeah, there are different ones I have to think about. There's leptospirosis in dogs. So no measles? No measles, no. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's often a similar virus, but a different disease. Okay. So Yeah, and, and um, some pets, and especially dogs, there are several compulsory vaccinations for them. Isn't that right? Yeah, it depends what you call compulsory. Well, there are some that are called the core vaccines or the experts mm. call it core vaccines. That it's a one that are most important because there are highly contagious diseases like parvovirosis, leptospirosis. So there's a dose that each and every animal should have. Even like if a cat is indoor only, but the owner can transmit it, touching another cat, even on their shoes and everything, you never know. And then are those that are non-core or optional, depending if you're traveling, where you are living, if this disease is around or not, and you can decide uh, individually if you need them or not. Mm. So there is another thing, um, another virus. You've probably heard of that. It's <laughs> circulating now around the globe. It's the SARS-CoV-2. So, so. The <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> no. We read a lot about how pets can transmit the disease. Do they actually get sick as well or they are only vectors of the virus? And how big a problem is it? I don't think it's a big problem. Uh, it's just single cases that have been described, like from a tiger that probably got it from its keeper and, and okay. single cases of cats and dogs that were usually in very close contact um, with an infected person. And is it the same virus? Is it a SARS-CoV-2 virus? Yes, it was isolated. It was the same virus, okay. yes. Mm -hmm. we, we still don't really know what a role they are playing. It can't be a big role. I mean, if you have very close contacts, as many people have, you know, they let them kiss their face and sleep in their bed. No, yeah. um, you can transmit uh, a virus that's like regular flu or the common cold can also be transmitted. So, and the animals don't get sick. They just eliminate it, but you can detect it. I don't think we really know that much about it right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there, there are isolated cases uh, so far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And are there also anti-vax people within veterinary medicine? So like... Oh, yes. Yes. Even veterinarians. So even, even the, the actual doctors? Yes. Uh, wow. Wow. 
Okay. <laughs> it's like in human medicine then. <laughs> yes, yes, it's exactly like in human medicine. I think it's the same thinking, you know, it's it could be dangerous and many diseases were eradicated like rabies um, has been eradicated in Austria, well, through vaccines hmm. uh, and people don't realize it and they don't see the the cases as veterinarians see, like I mentioned, parvovirosis, that's a really dangerous disease that especially yeah. affects puppies and it, it's really life-threatening and they need intensive care and it's very expensive and they can have uh, long-time consequences. Yeah, when I was a kid, we lost we lost one of our dogs to that. Yeah, Yeah, and, and sometimes it still happens because they are just vaccinated once and didn't have their booster shot yet or right. you're not really sure. And it's, it's really sad when you see this and they are really suffering. It's really bad. Yeah, I don't know. Yes, there are veterinarians claiming that uh, vaccines are not effective. They are only harmful. They have whatever dreadful consequences. It's the same as in human mm. medicine. Do pets uh, get autistic? <laughs> well, this saying... it is is going around yes what mm -hmm. autism i mean there's a discussion even if this and it's not really a disease it's a different way of of, of thinking autism okay. if this if we can say that animals can have that because there are animals that have these traits you know they behave similar like autistic people i mean it's we cannot talk to them yeah? we can only evaluate their behavior um And yes, of course, it's said that uh, it can cause by vaccines, all kinds of things can, mm. yeah. If the dog gets run over by a car two weeks later, it was due to the vaccine. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just, I just can't help but wondering what an antisocial cat would be like. Yeah. The same? <laughs> How would you see the difference, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to oversimplificate <laughs> the thing about autism. So, no, uh, no, of course. Before we get any angry hate mails, no, no I know it's more complicated than that. <laughs> of course. When we speak about medicines and vaccines for pets and for humans, there are very rigorous tests and trials and, and approval procedures that have to be in place. Are the standards the same for animal medicine? Basically, yes. It is. I must admit that I don't know the procedures from human medicine, oh. but uh, I'm sure it's the same or comparable. Yeah, you have the same test phases and everything, so it's more or less the same, yes. Mm. Is it big business as well? So, I mean, uh, for pharmaceutical companies, because there are so many pets, so there are so many pet owners having lots of animals, it might be quite a quite a big yeah i mean for the companies maybe like the vaccines they are not really expensive um yeah. usually some years ago there were the recommendations to revaccinate every year mm -hmm. so this was also the a reason to call them in and do like a checkup and you know combine this say okay i'll examine the animal we can talk about has there been any change how is it doing should we maybe do a blood work or anything and then give the vaccine so it's also a possibility to have them in. Um, now for most vaccines, it's every three years, except of leptospirosis that still mm -hmm. needs to be given every year. Um, yeah. Because it just, research has shown that usually the animals have the antibodies longer, so we can go to three years. Because this was something that people said also anti-vax as well. It's just a... The, the, the vets just want to make money, you know, they call us every year and, and we need to get this vaccine. Yeah, it, it's exactly the same. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> There are really telling similarities. So what I've been wondering, and we've, we've all been wondering, is 
whether there is a similar level of attraction to to pseudoscience in veterinary medicine as there is in human medicine from both the the side of the veterinarians themselves and from the patient side of course good question i've been asking myself the same because we all had the same education obviously there's only one vet school in vienna and and why so many vets are attracted to 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 alternative medicine and and Personally, I cannot understand it because otherwise I would not be sitting here and talking to you today. Well, probably many say, well, I need just something to give that's not harmful. So yeah, they're not really into it. They're just giving in in addition. Or if they say, well, it's not really like a drug necessary. It's it's, ha it's a harmless disease, but the owner wants something mm. for their money. You know, they, they pay a lot of money for, for I don't know, a blood test, x-ray, whatever. And then they want to have something to give. Maybe also because you cannot do harm because it doesn't do anything. Basically, it's not expensive. Like if you buy a set of, I don't know, homeopathy drugs thingies, you don't buy like an x-ray machine or something. I really don't know. I mean, yes, it's f fashionable. So some might say, okay, it's a good, I don't know, business plan. But from my experience, the colleagues, they are really into it. They really believe it. They are not just, oh, I do it for the money. Um, they really believe it. From the pet owner's side, I think it's the same in human medicine. Yeah, they're, they are scared of side effects of, you know, chemicals. Oh, okay. And it's really like a fashion trend. We are hearing this every day, you know, in whatever food, cosmetics, whatever. Everything needs to be natural and back to nature and organic and whatever. So I think that's, that's the same thing. We have in addition this, I don't know. Yeah, it's also, it's a conspiracy theory also about this antiparasitic drugs that they're also poison. I mean, yes, they are chemicals as anything is a chemical. And of course they are approved drugs as they all are. Um, but especially about one that's, or the product name is Pravector that came out some years ago. There are several others with the same contents and it was supposed to be, you know, also it, it kills animals, you know, and, and people posted videos of their dogs having seizures on Facebook instead of going to the vet and blaming it for almost anything. And there are Facebook groups warning and everything. So it's, it's the classical conspiracy theory. And it's another thing, I think that's not so much in, in human medicine that usually animals should get antiparasitics several times a year because, you know, they are going out and we don't want any worms crawling around. Definitely. <laughs> so you already mentioned homeopathy for cats and dogs and other pets. Do other so-called alternative medicines um, like acupuncture or chiropractic um, also exist? In Everything. In Everything you can think of. Yes, I think, or at least what I'm feeling is that especially like chiropractic and osteopathy are very popular or that's also the same problem like in human medicine there's a I don't know manual therapies physiotherapy whatever they call it and it's usually a mixture of all kinds of things and some call them chiropractors they need to be veterinarians in Austria I have to say that and some call say I'm doing osteopathy usually it's a mixture and it's really difficult to decide which is which and if you say it it's all bogus. They don't believe you. Or I know some that say homeopathy is, is bullshit. I know. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. But I'm doing chiropractic because I think that's 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 a good thing. And when is it? But it's 
it's also nothing, you know, there's no evidence and it's about energies flowing and things like that. They don't believe you. So I think homeopathy or true homeopathy is more like a niche product. Some are giving these complex medications just as a sideline, but all these manual therapies are very popular. So, so is there any of these uh, alternative uh, medicines for pets that is not just, you know, a waste of money, but also can be very harmful for the, for the pets? Well, yes, uh, like osteopathy or chiropractic can be harmful if it's done wrong. There was a, well, he was not a veterinarian. There was a, a, a guy on TV the Germans know it, oh, yeah. his name was Tame Hanken. He passed away already. He called himself chiropractor and he was really, really rude. Like he was a huge guy and he was, he was really with force pulling and pushing these poor animals. And there was uh, several lawsuits as far as I know, because he really hurt animals and also people. But the most harm is usually done because no, no real medicine is given and that's really really sad to see animals with say huge tumors or any conditions that could have been cured half a year ago easily um, and now it's life-threatening just yeah. because they treated it with homeopathy same as in human medicine i think it's worse because animals cannot decide on their own yeah now that we often hear about this and people don't think about this and so if if there's nothing in homeopathy what's the harm well the harm is yeah. you don't get the medicine you you need yeah 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 and think that uh even if there's a placebo effect the placebo effect usually con concerns the owner so if the owner believes the animal is better yeah. the yeah. animal is not and uh, they might oversee that it gets worse or they are told that's supposed to be like that mm. well like homeopathy does so that's that's all okay or maybe they are ashamed uh, because either they think well in my case it didn't help and i go to a different vet or if the animal is really bad or is dying they are ashamed because they didn't do anything and they believed in that and they're not telling anybody mm. it's really good that you mentioned placebo because one of the most frequently heard arguments for things like homeopathy is that it works with animals. It works yeah. on animals and chill and babies as well. So, and on animals, there cannot be placebo effect. But it has been proven to be present in animals. How does that work? You you mentioned it that it works through the the owner. But how much evidence there is for the placebo effect to be present in animals? And can you walk us through how it works exactly? There is evidence that there is a placebo effect in animals. It's what it's called placebo by proxy. So it works both ways. First, if the owner believes that it helps, it will perceive things making him believe the animal is getting better or he will interpret the signs yeah. in a different way. That's the problem. We cannot ask the animal. We have to ask the owner and they will usually say, well, it's getting better or worse. And how is the animal behaving and how is it looking and does it want to play or want to go for a walk or things like that? There is a placebo on the animal per se also mainly transmitted through the emotion of the owner. Like if the owner mm -hmm. feels you know, calm and comforted, knowing that everything is done. Of course, this transmit to the animal, especially animals being very close to us, like cats or dogs, also horses can read our emotions or, well, we are their herd, so they, they have to know, yeah, if everything is safe and how, how we are feeling and, and that the owner is projecting the emotion to the animal. And of course, stress is harmful to health or to any healing. So if the animal feels that the, the owner is 
frightened mm -hmm. um, it really will not heal well so what's the the funniest or like weirdest case of of pseudomedicine you've encountered in connection with pets Well, weird. There are many cases of so-called, you know, um, energetics or telepath communication, telepathic communication. That's where what uh, that I don't know. The dog doesn't want to be castrated, or that's probably right, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I can't or... imagine it not being correct. <laughs> Yeah, or that uh, the diagnosis made with any weird, weird uh, things like, I don't know, bioresonance or kinesiology or whatever. And then they say, well, my dog is allergic to, I don't know, beef. And then they give me the feeding plan and say, yeah, but uh, but um, uh, it's getting tripe. Uh, so that's beef, isn't it? Yeah, well, um, but uh, the telepath told me that the dog is only allergic to to the meat and not to tripe and i was like but it's the same animal right mm. <laughs> so that's really that's really a big problem all these like pseudo diagnostic measures and often owners are desperate because the animal is sick for i don't know months and weeks and i don't know has diarrhea and they have to get up every night or have to clean up all the time and they are really desperate to find a solution i think that's also a reason um, that they have tried everything and they have been to different vets and nothing really helped because they, not, they don't stay on track to try this and then it doesn't help and then they get to another place and try another thing that doesn't help and they don't really follow a protocol and then they give up and then, they, I don't know, come up with all these weird things. Mm. So as usual, they, they make claims without doing the, pr the proper scientific way of finding out whether something is true. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> What a surprise. What is the most common woo treatment that you uh, meet in your practice? Hmm. I think it's pretty equal distributed. <laughs> so I have many that get like chiropractic or, or osteopathy. Yeah, if they believe in one, they believe in all of them, right? Yeah. It's really different. I think it depends to which vet they are going, what is over there. Mm. Yeah. And are there any really... I mean, you probably have a lot of stories about what you've seen. Are there any that you would categorize as even tragic, as something that could have been avoided, could could have been done yeah, better? But uh, so, what is what is the, the most tragic that comes to mind? Luckily, I'm not seeing so many tragic cases because since I'm doing only nutrition consultation, yes, yes, but yes, yes. less. I've heard from my colleagues, I've seen, I think it's if you have like, say, like a tumor and you know, I could have removed it half a year ago and the animal would go on living happily for three, four more years. And it's been in pain for a month and now you can only euthanize it. Yeah. And it's really tragic because you know, you could have done something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's again, what's the harm? In... Yeah. So, so what you, would you say, what, what's the most important thing as a pet owner that you should think of so that you don't fall into these pseudoscience yeah i think you should always ask what's the evidence i mean there is so much information out there especially about homeopathy but all these other um, pseudoscientific medicines the problem is it's again it's about believing it's i think it's the same in human medicine if you be, if you want to believe it you believe it and i think this is why it's so difficult that it's very difficult to have a find a practice that does not offer any of that i hardly know any in vienna if they're not offering homeopathy they're offering acupuncture and if it's not acupuncture it's chiropractic and if it's not chiropractic it's something else and that's what makes it so difficult i could 
really not recommend a clinic that does not do any of those. And that is so difficult. And this is really the problem that obviously vets are not aware of the problem. Mm -hmm. And there's only a handful that are against it or see it critical. So what is it that can be done from a larger, um, more distant point of view? I mean, uh, we know that you do a lot of educational work. So you you give lectures, don't you? And uh, things like that. So do you do that to your own colleagues as well as the public? Or so what is it? What is it exactly that you work as public outreach? The problem is, if I say it out loud, I get punished. What do you mean? The problem is that our veterinary chamber in Austria proactively tries to engage in uh, alternative medicine. So they are really giving seminars. And uh, it's incredible, actually, that in the 21st century, yes, a body of scientists acts like this. I have a four page long letter from the president of the veterinary chamber where he explains to me that homeopathy is evidence based medicine. Holy shit. Yeah, holy shit. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's not even I don't even know what to think of that. Yeah, that's that's my problem. Uh, it's like what? So you you're not allowed to publicly go against yes. pseudomedicine? Well, they try to. Yeah, I mean, I am not allowed to say that homeopathy doesn't work. So you basically, if you do that out in the public, you basically risk your membership of the chamber? Or Well, I don't know if they can really go so far. Okay. I mean, so far they're only threatening me because there's nothing to, they can do. I mean, there's freedom of speech. Wow. And I can say, I mean, that's, well, if, if they can publish that's a bullshit i can say that it's bullshit and then i can also criticize the chamber in public i have that written by my lawyer um, but th that's really the big problem wow. okay. uh, i mean i give speeches for the for our gesellschaft for kritisches denken for the public and several occasions the problem is if somebody sees that uh, i'm in trouble i mean that's not going to stop me or us we are as again we are only a handful of people so there's no support from the colleagues also because most of them are saying yeah everybody can do what he or she wants and what's the harm and yeah give me Ma. funny names do you think that comes from uh, the public from from the pet owners themselves that kind of push towards pseudomedicine or it's so deeply entrenched in the, the in veterinary medicine that it's a genuine belief on your colleague's side that these kinds of uh, practices work i think for many it's a genuine belief wow. yes i mean i know when when i studied that was almost 20 years ago we were taught acupuncture and homeopathy <laughs> i mean they were like optional subjects but it was there and i was never interested in those things but many Many of my colleagues went there and said, yeah, it, it was taught like it, it existed. Was, there was no discussion or anything. So, so it's there it must start with, with fixing yes, the, the, the training. The training. And it has changed since then. So I know I mean, I'm still teaching at the university. So I know a little about uh, the curriculum now. And they have like a subject that's called scientific you know, introductions and in science, uh, personal development or something that they have like from the beginning, that's also about how to read a scientific paper, how to review a scientific paper, how to write a scientific paper, because we only had that when we did a doctoral thesis. Like in Austria, you finish with the magister and, and uh, you can go into practice. So now they have to, I think since, I don't know, 
10 years, they have to write a diploma thesis. But before we just had, I don't know, 11 exams and then we're good to go. So we never got in touch with any science. If we didn't need to, you just learn by heart your textbooks and then you're good to go. And this has changed a lot. And I can see that the students I'm teaching now are much more critical in their thinking. They do not believe in the internet. So I think it's getting better, but that at least in my generation, it's a genuine belief. And the other thing is that uh, acupuncture has a tradition in Austria. We had a professor, he's now, I think, more than 90 years old. I think he's still alive. And he was the first ever worldwide professor in acupuncture. Mm. Yeah. What a title. Yeah, he's still, like, his his uh, followers are still around. And another thing, another problem in veterinary medicine is that the problem is we are missing a lot of drugs, especially for food-producing animals, because they are not allowed mm -hmm. for different reasons. So there's really a gap that needs to be filled. And I think this is also how the popularity started and this this professor started with with uh, farm animals with, with cattle and um, he published a paper in the i don't know 1970s that he operated on a cow without anesthesia hey that's cruel yeah but because she was under uh, acupuncture anesthesia but it would not be allowed today but um, this is might also be a reason why it's so popular in veterinary medicine. I mean, it's written in the EU directive on organic farming that homeopathy is to be preferred. Wow. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, I didn't expect those shocking news to come out <laughs> yeah, uh, from this topic. That's, that's oh my, my main God. reason not to buy organic or one of many. Yeah, it's, it says that homeopathy or phytotherapy have to be preferred. And then it says if there's a proof for effectiveness in this certain disease, which there is not, of course. So it's, it's useless to say that, but it's written there wow. in EU legislation. Wow. So if you're listening, EU legislators. <laughs> I think we should we should get someone on the show. <laughs> Definitely. At some point. <laughs> Yeah, many people don't know. We just need to find the right person from the right circle. <laughs> <laughs> so you already mentioned that you studied um, veterinary medicine, but how did you get interested in pseudoscience in, in uh, medicine? And when did you realize there was this huge problem that there actually is? Yeah, well, as I said, I worked at, at in science for 10 years. I mean, I always knew that that's there, but it didn't touch me. And then I went into practice in 2013. And of course, most of, I don't know, myth or pseudoscience facing is through nutrition. And there's a lot of stuff around. And I mean, I got in contact with my colleagues and I was really like shocked how much actually there is of this uh, pseudomedicine. I got in touch with the skeptics actually through Xavier Naidu. <laughs> I don't know if the other guys know him. No. I don't think he's known outside of... No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a, um, a German singer and I never liked him. I mean, that's my personal taste. Uh, I prefer heavy metal. Okay. <laughs> but it's really like schmaltzy and it's like really... Uh, yeah. Um, and then in, he got this negative prize. It's called the, this golden bread, the golden board. Oh, yeah, in front we know of your that. Head. Oh, yeah, we know about that. Yeah, yeah. You know mm -hmm. that, see? Yeah. Uh, he received that, I think, in 2014 or something. And I read that on, on the news and I was like, what's that? And 
I was kind of happy that now I have a reason all to hate him because he's all like a conspiracy <laughs> theorist and a right-wing activist and homophobic and whatever, which is funny because he's black, but I don't know. Huh. Um, anyway, and I said, I need to go there and I need to see this and who these people are. And this is how I got in touch with the, oh, okay. with the Austrian skeptics. And then I went to their monthly meetings. Yeah. So are you also arranged, uh, active in organizing like uh, skeptics in the pub or things like that um a little yes yeah. i mean this we all yeah mm -hmm. yeah i carry the microphone in the discussion round does that count, <laughs> that does count. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely absolutely and i collect the uh, collect the money oh <laughs> oh good important that's that's even more important yeah, yeah but the, i think your story then is a pretty good example of how important these publicity stunts are because that's what they are, basically. These these golden bread, uh, the the flying Pegasus, or the Sisyphus prize. So I think these are very important because they can draw the attention of those who might potentially be interested in things that we do and things that we debunk and how can we go against all that madness. So those of you out there listening who are members of certain organizations, it's worth doing. Isn't that Pontus? Your, your organization does that too. Yes, we have this Confounder of the Year yeah. award, which we, I love to translate because it's such a strange word <laughs> in English. It's not really an English word, but that's if you. <laughs> but, but we do that and we do get quite a lot of attention. Yes, once it, a also, this, this Golden Bread gets a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. It's in yes. the, the, the news. Yeah, so um, it's it's quite popular, and there used to be a huge audience and and speeches and everything, and comedians coming, and yeah, yeah. that's really right. a great thing because it's funny in a way, you know. Yeah. It's not just saying yeah, you should not, but it's fun. Yeah. So if people are interested in your work, how can they find you? Like, do you have a Twitter or Facebook or? Do you have any other um, skeptics in the pub talk in the future? <laughs> <laughs> I already had one. I already had one. Well, the problem with this funny virus, hmm. Um, so we had to cancel some. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I don't have a Twitter now. I mean, I have a my professional website that needs or that's work in progress and I, uh, I will have a chapter there. I would really love to have like a web page with this information. I know there are also like American vets and English vets that have that like the skept vet, if you know that, also to give information to, to the owners. Yeah, also in a nice way explaining what's the use, what's the harm and that's my next step. The problem is I need to do this anonymous. Yeah, I think also the skeptics and also the GVUP or the Informationsnetzwerk Homeopathie um, are in support. So will be the problem to have to, to get a web page somewhere and to, to get some information out. Yeah, I said that it's really difficult to, to reach people because I'm almost afraid what people say. Well, <laughs> I'm not afraid. It's just if you make the chamber angry, you can really get in trouble and they can make your life really difficult. And also I need to... I get a lot of referrals, so I need to work together with my with my colleagues. And I know some of them do homeopathy and other stuff. And I cannot, you know, uh, or criticize them all the time because they won't refer anymore. Yeah. Ah, so thanks. that's that's really a thing. But I will keep yeah. keep hanging on, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but we have heard that you are going to hold a skeptics in the pub online talk, right, on the twenty first of October. 
Yes, yes, true, true. Yeah. <laughs> you almost forgot. <laughs> yeah, I was like, hey, I don't know. No, because it's not our skeptics in the pub in Vienna, but it's the skeptics in the pub uh, Cologne. Yeah, that's true. Okay, all right. So that will be in German. Yes, this, this, but, this uh, will be in German. A lot of our listeners understand German, so we will put that link in the show notes. I actually already put it in our calendar where we keep track of everything that's going to happen. Oh, yes. So I gave a presentation last year on the SkepCon conference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that they are also online all, all of them yeah okay yeah great so there are ways to find you and um, your talks so we will make sure that uh, those are up as links on our show notes great thank you but um i think um, that basically sums up our interview and I'd like to thank you for, for coming on the show and accepting our invitation uh, Stefanie that's been a lot of fun really welcome was really was really fun and it was great to meet you and it's really great to meet the European skeptics well there was talk about having like a, you know the European Skepcon mm -hmm. anything 21 was it 2021 but yeah it's been postponed to 22 uh, the, the the announcement hasn't been made yet but i think uh, everyone yeah it's like everything is expected postponed to, to yeah, yeah 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 some place but yeah well <laughs> but hopefully if that actually happens at some point we have no idea where and when but if that happens i'm really hoping that that uh, we will meet in person as well yeah me too great all right so stephanie handel Thank you very much for, for doing what you do and for coming on the show and for doing that heroic act of, of going against your own medical chamber. And good luck with all that work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Goodbye. Okay, that was very enlightening. I mean, I wouldn't have thought that there, there was so much pseudoscience and pseudomedicine going on in veterinary uh, medicine. Veterinary yeah, practice. No, no, it was wow. even much worse than I thought. I mean, we, the, my experience from veterinarians in Sweden are uh, it's it's very different. I think uh, I'm sure there are a few homeopaths out there, but uh, it, it's not a lot. They are they seem to be very scientifically minded, but uh, that doesn't seem to be the case in Austria. Do you think it's a cultural thing? Like um, it's still considered, I mean, it's not Germany, but it's still considered the culture of Hahnemann and, and that's that's why it might be that important to them. Annika, what do you think about that? It could be. I mean, it's all speculation. I think it's just but. like, it's, it's hard to tell. Yeah, it's hard to tell if it's like the chicken or the egg, pretty much. So, but what, <laughs> yeah. what we can say, it's like the status quo is that it's very entrenched in the system. Mm. And... I think it's just heartbreaking that that it's so so much in the system that she actually has to be careful of what she's saying in in public. That's just... yes, that was surprising. Oh my god, mm. that your own medical chamber is threatening you for speaking out about pseudo medicine. Wow, that is yeah, that's terrible. that is tough. <laughs> Definitely, mm. that is really the, tough. The very chamber that actually should protect you against pseudoscience. Yeah, and so. it, it should be the guardian of scientific approach, of the scientific approach to medicine, no matter whether it's it's, it's veterinary or human medicine. Mm. Oof. So, so yeah. I have to say she's she's very brave for, for doing what she's doing. And, and yes. Yeah. yeah, I have to say I really enjoyed the interview. Yeah, yeah. yeah and we need people like her mm -hmm. to speak out. And what else we need is people who make those decisions on the European level who are involved in making those decisions. So if 
any of our listeners know the right person to interview about what the hell is going on about medicine, about those scientifically unsound regulations on the European level, please let us know because we would like to find those people who can tell us what the hell is going on. When we think about GMOs, when we think about homeopathy, when we think about all that kind of weird shit, yeah. the European Union shouldn't allow that to be prevalent. Yeah. So yeah, and the link to organic farming—that—that's uh, oh yeah, organic farming is supposed to be this fantastic thing, and then uh, it's full of pseudoscience. That's stupid. Yeah, wasn't it uh, Prince Charles who said that? Uh, his farm animals are being treated with homeopathy. Oh, yes. I think, I think yes, he, yes, yes, yes. He promoted that, yeah. So oh. there you go. At, at least he's not in the European Union anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth getting rid of all of the UK just to get rid of him. I'm not sure I agree. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail. <laughs> Please don't send me hate mails from the UK about this because I, I agree. I totally agree with you. That was a total mistake. You guys belong to Europe. Yeah. I was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. But I think what it can tell us is that organic, uh, we have to be skeptical about everything, uh, including organic food. That's right. Okay. But I think that was all that uh, we could uh, fit in the this uh, episode. So thank you very much, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners as well, as usual, for tuning in. And please keep doing so and spread the word. And until next week, when we come back with a regular show, goodbye. Tschüss. Hey, do. Bis lat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe We could okay, we could do something like <laughs> So that's done. That's done then. All right. Yeah, it works. But we have to explain it to uh, interview victims. So that'll be fun. You have to yeah, do gonna, it this way. We're going to go. Welcome to the podcast of Chipmunks. Yeah. yeah. You're done. listening to the ESP, the Chipmunk podcast. <laughs> What about the stories when these poor pets were left there because their owners just died on them for some reason and uh, they ate them? Does that actually happen? So we I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> well, man, I can imagine if they are really locked in for days, what they're supposed to do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> but it's not okay. something you recommend. So, okay. No. Yeah. Dear pets, we don't recommend you try this at home. Okay. <laughs>
<laughs> <laughs> no, don't, don't try this at home. 